Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Building Jesus is being exalted, and it's by a group of people who are passionate about Jesus, and they're grateful. They are thankful. Uh, Last week, as uh, we just talked about, Hope Church had their first service here, and they had a little celebration afterward. So Pastor Julie and I, after we had service here, uh, we were able to make it over to catch the tail end of their service, and we stood outside, and I just want to tell you, it was amazing. Everyone who came out of there, it seemed, said to either Julie or I, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're so grateful that we can be here to worship. Thank you that the, that the doors are open here at this church uh, because as you heard from Pastor Avdal, they, they had that construction going on at the other location and it was tough for them. So they were so glad to be here. And then they had a little celebration. So we sat down with them. We had some wonderful shawarma and some kafta. And you heard Pastor talk about a barbecue. We want to have a joint barbecue with them. Yes, yes. <laughs> the food was amazing. Uh, the desserts, the baklava. Uh, really, it was wonderful. And you know what? When you sit down and eat with someone, you get to know them. So. Uh, It's a great opportunity to learn about people when you sit down at the table and you eat with them and you share with them. So right away, we just start asking questions. Hey, what's your story? Where are you from? Uh, Julie and I both, we were tag teaming people. You know, what brought you to the United States? And most of those that we talked to, they were from Iraq. And why would you leave your homeland and your culture? And you know what the common answer was? Persecution. And you know, for all that we've heard about in the news, about immigration and all of that, everyone I talked to, uh, I heard Dinesh D'Souza on the TV the other day. He said, I came over to this country uh, the legal way I got in line. And that's what everyone we talked to last week said. Well, it took a while. We wanted to leave because we were getting persecuted and we were so grateful that we were able to get out of there. One couple we talked to, they left about 1990 and you know, that was when Saddam Hussein, he was trying to get into Kuwait and then he finally did. Uh, Saddam had tolerated Christians, but things started to go downhill after that. And then when he was toppled, it got really bad for Christians. One man Uh, I've talked to, he faced guns on more than one occasion because he's Christian. Uh, I talked to uh, another fella, his name was Farood. He was there with his sister, Teresa. And he said, it's so hard. It's so difficult uh, to live as a Christian there. Especially, he said, the area that he lived in Iraq, it was extremely, extremely difficult. And the population of Christians at the time may have been 5% to the whole country. And I know it's gone down since then. But he said it was so much oppression, so difficult. To talk about Jesus could end your life. But here in the United States, he, he says, this is wonderful. It's so different. 
it's so free. It's so easy to talk about your faith. It's so easy to tell others about Christianity. And he had one question. Why aren't we talking? You know, it's an interesting take. It's an interesting perspective to come from a place where you're held down, you can't speak because you actually, without exaggeration, you might lose your life. And you get to a place where, hey, there is no barrier at all. And he, he says, why aren't more talking? And he was so passionate about it. In essence, he was asking, where's the zeal in the church? Where has it gone? And it's, it's humbling to me. I, I feel, wow, I'm not, yes, I understand. Where is it? You know, no one has ever held a gun to me because I'm a Christian. No one's ever threatened uh, my life or my wife and family because I say I believe in Jesus. I have it so easy. Why am I not talking about Jesus more? And maybe that's a question we should all be asking. It's so easy. We're probably not going to get beat up. We're probably not going to be threatened. We might be called a disparaging name or something. But aside from that, it's so open here. Why aren't we talking more about the one who saved us from death and hell and the grave and took us uh, to eternal life? You know, where is our zeal and our zest and our passion for Jesus Christ? I want to consider that this morning. I want to talk about that question. As we bring to a conclusion uh, the book of Acts, as we've been reading along as a church, From the beginning of the year through the Bible, and we've been in the book of Acts past week, this past week, we've come to the conclusion. I want to look into Acts chapter 26 and consider this question. Why aren't we all talking? And if you've been following along, I know this will just be a little refresher for you. And if you went to the community in the word this morning, and how many did that? How many were over there this morning? Oh, that's a, it was a great turnout. The room was packed. And you went over a bit of Acts chapter 26. Come out next week, 8.45, and bring the family. I thought it was fabulous to see the young and the mature sitting at the tables together, the families together. What were you talking about? God's word, community in the word. It was amazing. Uh, Next week, I think we're going to have to open the wall to the next room. And let's do it. Come on out, because... Uh, it's beneficial. Not to mention there were some great refreshments too, 845. Come on. Uh, as, as you read through that this morning, and if you didn't, I'll just bring you up to speed a little bit. It's another one of Paul's testimonies. Last week, I talked to you about some of the testimonies that this apostle gave before kings and judges and Roman uh, centurions and commanders and this whole crowd of Jews he was brought before. The whole close of Acts is Paul talking about Jesus in different settings to different people. Uh, He had been falsely charged in Jerusalem as some kind of insurrectionist, and he's brought before the crowd, he's brought before some of the Romans, but at every opportunity, 
And this guy's facing pain. He is facing real persecution because he believed in Jesus Christ and he was, wasn't afraid to talk about Jesus. He's facing even death at all turns, all opportunity. He's sharing Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Now, in Acts 26, he's in this city of Caesarea. They've pulled him out of Jerusalem. And he's standing before now a Roman governor named Festus. He's standing before the Jewish king, Herod Agrippa II, and Herod's sister Bernice, who was rumored to also be having some illicit relationship with her brother. So, you know, bad leaders. And Paul begins a defense of these false accusations that have been brought against him. But he immediately begins to make a path to Jesus. I mean, this is his, seems to be his goal every time. He says to King Agrippa, hey, listen, you're well acquainted with the ways of Jews. You're well, uh, you well understand Judaism. So you know all about the Pharisees. And Paul said, I'm a Pharisee. You know, I have a hope in God. You know about that, King Agrippa. And it's because of this hope that I have that these Jews here are accusing me. And what was the hope? What was the hope that Paul the Apostle had in God? It was the resurrection. He believed in a resurrection. He certainly believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he believed in a future resurrection of all who are in Christ. So he said to the king, why should any of you consider it incredible that God would raise the dead? And he's going to Jesus because he's going to get there to say, how's it incredible that God raised Jesus? But then Paul asks this. He asks this, and I'm going to read you a few verses from Acts 26. This is verses 9 through 11. Paul said, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. So Paul was convinced. He had a conviction And what was he convinced at this time in his life? He was convinced that he had to go against Jesus. He had to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's exactly what he did. And he did it with the approval of the leaders. He did it with the approval of the high priests and the chief priests. We know his conversion story, that he had received approval to go to Damascus. And it was on his way to Damascus that he was converted what was, his, what was his goal and his aim? To have people arrested, to have, to have them tried, to even have them executed. And he approved of it. He said, I cast my vote against them when that happened. He even tried to force them to blaspheme so they could bring uh, charges against someone for blasphemy and be able to, again, imprison them, bring charges against them. And it wasn't a citywide campaign wasn't even a nationwide campaign. It was an international campaign. 
Paul's own testimony was that he hunted down Christians in foreign cities. He was chasing after them, even beyond his own borders. And in a word, the man was obsessed. That's his testimony. That's how he put it. I was so obsessed. What is this obsession? It's a passion. It's a zeal, yes. But an obsession, and his obsession, it was a misdirected passion. It was a misdirected, a misguided zeal. Now, I know we could talk about various levels of obsessions, couldn't we? Now, when you get up in the morning, you might have an obsession, right? You might have to have, I don't know, whatever, your cinnamon dolce latte or something. I mean, we, we all have our certain, eh, gotta have it, right? I'm obsessed with that. You know, last Wednesday, we had a movie here at the church. I can only imagine. And if you missed it, you missed a great opportunity to talk about Jesus. But afterwards, there was sort of an obsession. You know, do you want the root beer float or do you want the Boston cooler? So, hey, people have their obsession. It's root beer or Verner's. Okay, Verner's won, in my opinion, but whatever. That's my obsession. You know, you might be obsessed with wearing your favorite color. You might be obsessed with shoes or whatever. And I get that, right? But some obsessions, like the one of the apostle, they can be destructive. They can cause problems. And I want to read you a little excerpt I read from a a doctor, a medical doctor named Alex Lickerman. And uh, this was in a magazine called Psychology Today. But he wrote this about being obsessed. He said, we may become obsessed with a person, a place, a goal, a subject, but obsession amounts to the same thing in all cases, addiction. At first, like all addictions, obsession is intoxicating. It fills us up. And what a relief that feeling is, especially if we felt empty before. But even if we didn't feel empty, obsession makes us feel potent, capable, and purposeful. But also, like all addictions, with time, obsession unbalances us. We often begin to neglect parts of our lives we shouldn't. If allowed to become too consuming, obsession causes us to devalue important dimensions of our lives and tolerate their atrophy and even their collapse. And... If you've ever known someone who is truly obsessed about something, you know that's true. If we have an obsession, an obsession that unbalances us, and we can become fixated and distracted and pulled away from what we're supposed to be focused on in our life. And this was the problem with the apostle. This was Paul's dilemma. Paul the Pharisee had become unbalanced, really unhinged, When Paul was fixated on persecuting Christians, he had strayed far away from his Judaism. Judaism, his religion, didn't teach this persecution. That was his cause at the time. His cause was Judaism. We have the Old Testament. That's the Torah. That was what he studied and knew. And what does it say in Leviticus 19? Jesus quoted it. Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And that's Old Testament. That's Leviticus. That's Judaism. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Don't seek revenge. Don't try to go have a grudge against your own people. But the Pharisee was unbalanced. And Paul was persecuting the Jews. He was persecuting his own people. This is not loving your neighbor. He was not following what his religion taught. He was unbalanced. In our modern culture, in North American 21st century, there are so many things that obsess people to the point of unbalance. And what are some of those obsessions? You could probably think of some right away. Sports, entertainment, the pursuit of amusement, video games. These things can be addicting in moderation. Yeah, you play a video game. I'm not telling you that's taking you down to hell right now. But, you know, many can obsess about these things. Sports, scores, whatever. You know, who wins, who loses, as if their lives depended on it. You know, or just dominating some video game. I've seen these people that are uh, addicted and they need to get the highest score, wait till the next release so that they can dominate the next one. It can suck up an inordinate amount of time of your life uh, for what? You know, and then there's the social causes, right? The social issues. And we could rattle off a bunch. Top of the list might be abortion. And with the retirement of the Supreme Court justice this week, some people have gone totally apoplectic. They are seething. They're overwhelmed by the thought that abortion might be restricted or eliminated. And they've made obsessive vows against anyone who's going to be nominated to fill this vacancy. And if it's not that social issue, if it's not abortion, it's, it's immigration, it's climate change, it's the Second Amendment, it's health care, it's taxes, and on and on and on we could go. And there's, there's groups of people that are obsessed and fixated about a cause like that and to, to maintain the cause or overthrow the cause, whatever it is. And then some are obsessed with social media. Well, got to get those friends. Got to have more friends. Got to have more likes. Got to get some more thumbs up. Got to go viral. Boy, got to get this video to go viral. But yeah, I don't know how many thumbs up you get, friends you have, likes you have, followers you gain. It doesn't matter how viral you get. It's going to still never be enough. And that's true of many things. That's true of the accumulation of money and stuff. And that can be another obsession. How many have focused so hard on the next promotion, the next raise, the next profit and loss statement, all to get more money and get more stuff? And the culture pushes it, and they push it, and they push it, and they judge you by that standard. How big is your house? You know, what's, what kind of car are you driving? What's the label on your clothes? You know, this week I saw an article about the second lady, Karen Pence, and she was being mercilessly ridiculed. And do you know why? She wore a dress that they say was bought at a mall. Oh, mercy. <laughs> Didn't have the right label on it. You know, it wasn't designed by the right designer. Confessions. 
Bought this at the mall. Okay, shop at the mall. All right. Some obsessions can go beyond these things and and really be a problem. They can be dangerous. Grievances or desire for vengeance. And that was the problem with the Pharisee Paul. And he had a grievance against his fellow Jews and he responded, he responded violently, he responded wrongly, he brought persecution. That was the problem with the unhinged man who went into the newspaper office in Annapolis. He had a grievance, grievance for years, and he was completely, completely obsessed by it, driven by this hate-filled vendetta to, to fix his grievance. And so, so there's, a, there's a spectrum here. But all of these obsessions, they have something in common. They can affect lives and relationships. They can take up time. They can be detrimental to the neglect of spouse and children and friends and uh, social relationships that are important. In the extreme, finances can be a a collapse. If you get pulled into uh, whatever, you got to have the next this, that, or the other. You're obsessed with technology, sports, gambling. It can lead to all of this. And finances can be uh, harmed. Relationships can fail. Families can fail. In, in these further down the spectrum cases, And if we try to distill it down, some of the commonalities down to a base, to the basic, an obsession is usually about self. It's about our self-esteem, our self-worth. You know, if my team wins, if my cause advances, if I get more likes and thumbs up, if I get that promotion, if I get more stuff, if I crush my enemy, And the one that I have this grievance against, I'm going to feel bigger and better. And it's all about me. And our culture has this kind of narcissism. It's a self-perpetuating narcissism because it, it pushes us and it feeds us. And Christians aren't immune to this kind of pull. And for those of us that claimed Christ and we say we're Christians, you know, these obsessions... Even if we say, I'm balanced. It's really, it's, it's a pastime. It's a hobby. It's nothing. It's under control. They can distract. They can pull from our eternal aim. You know, the freedom that we have to talk about our eternal aim. We can be pulled from it. Pulled from talking about Jesus and the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul the apostle had to learn a lesson and discover his obsession was pointless. It was fruitless. And in his case, his unique case, it took an act of God on the road to Damascus where the bright light shone on him. And he said, Lord, who are you? No longer then, after meeting Jesus, did he obsess with the persecution no, no, his, his cause changed it. He was devoted to Jesus and his cause. So the book of Acts closes with Paul 
ultimately making it to Rome. He had wanted to go there. He made it there. And he didn't arrive planning violence. He did not come with letters from chief priests so that he could make accusations of blasphemy, so that he could put people in prison, so that he could oversee executions and cast his vote against them. None of that. No, he had already written to the Romans and he explained what was motivating him now. Romans chapter 1, he wrote this. This is Paul's words, Romans 1, verses 13 to 16. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, this is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. His eagerness had changed. And then he wrote this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. What was motivating the man now? What was motivating Paul now toward the Jews and everyone else that he came in contact with was Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God that brings salvation. The, the apostle Paul went on to write this at the open of Romans chapter 10. This is Romans 10 verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Not that they may be killed. Not that they may be accused of blasphemy. No, that they may be saved. His obsession had changed. By faith in Jesus Christ, Paul was brought from death to life. And that meant something to him. Persecution was the past. Preaching was the present. Now, if I might use this word obsessed in a positive way, Paul became obsessed with Jesus. He became obsessed with the salvation offered by Jesus and available through faith in Christ. Salvation, the cross of Christ, the gospel of salvation was not something that was perpetuated by violence. It wasn't something pushed on someone by force. No, his a new desire was for the salvation of others, Jews, Greeks, non-Greeks. He wrote it all in the book of Romans. By the power of the gospel, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he wrote. It's the power of God unto salvation. In his preaching, it didn't bring him accolades and uh, you know, great fame and fortune. No, his preaching brought him real hardship and persecution. The tables had turned, yet he continued on in his new obsession and his preaching, even though he was persecuted. What about our persecution? Not so much for us. We have such freedom in this country. Freedom we're celebrating this week. Freedom to speak freely without fear of being persecuted, without fear of being arrested and thrown in jail. And how much are we speaking about the greatest gift we've ever received? How much are we talking about eternal life available in Jesus Christ? Have you received that gift? Have you received the gift of eternal life? 
And if you have, how much are you talking about it? You know, if the answer is not much, is it because you're getting persecuted? Is it because it's so difficult and so hard? I'm guessing the answer to that is no. In my own life, I know that's the answer, no. Well, then what's, what is it? Is it some kind of obsession? Am I obsessed with something else? Is there something distracting, pulling us to a fruitless pursuit? Can we lay aside these obsessions, these fixations, and get back in balance? Turn off. Turn off the device sometimes. Just turn it off. Don't check the score of the game. What's the score? What's the score? Turn it off. Don't be obsessed with those things. You'll mute the talk radio. You don't need to hear about you know, abortion, Second Amendment taxes. Turn it off. Mute that thing. Stop looking at the Dow Jones. It'll be there tomorrow. It's going to go up or down. I guarantee you that. Stop looking at it. Your life doesn't revolve around that. Be satisfied with your job title. Maybe for a while. Take a vacation. Perhaps you need a day off. Stop obsessing about getting to the next rung. You know, all of that is temporary, by the way. None of it is evil or bad in balance. I'm not telling you you can't watch a game. But it's got to be in balance. It can't be taking us away from what our real goal and aim is here for the eternal. All of that's temporary. All of it, and when it's an obsession, it's about self, and it's about the here and now. And what has that got to do with the best gift that you've ever gotten in your life? Jesus. You know, can't we lay those fixations aside and be obsessed with eternal life and be obsessed with Jesus and, and emulate Paul? Yeah, and emulate Paul. Drop those destructive obsessions. The man dropped it, and he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Can we say we're not ashamed of the gospel and make it our heart's desire for others to be saved, for others to know this? I'm putting that out to you as a challenge today. If you're not talking much about your Lord and your Savior and the best thing that's ever happened to you in your life, that you've gained eternity, that you've been brought over from death to life, I'm putting the challenge out there that you do that this week. You find somebody. Somebody's going to cross your path. Just ask them. Ask them straight up. Hey, do you know your eternal destination? If it's been something that just hasn't been brought up in your conversations lately with people around you, whether it be co-workers, neighbors, even family, let's, let us make it our aim and our goal. And dare I say, let us make it our obsession to mention Jesus. There is none better. There's none better. There's no higher name than the name of Jesus.